There's a lot of reasons that drive people to do certain things. And for me, it's wondering what God will do with them. I don't know who or what she is or even why she's here. She's already attacked two of my colleagues and I think I'm next. If you ask me, there are two roads to take. Which one you choose can begin a butterfly effect that ripples in a way that changes many lives. This weekend's sermons are that important. The truths are life-changing. What she does not know is that Tony Wood and Doug Husen are going to deliver these truths in an amazing way. They are going to be used by God to weave amazing things into your tapestry. Oh, you can clap for the Academy Award winner, Chuck Boer. Hey, um, you know, let me just say on a side note real quick, as I was watching the video, it made me think of it. Um, God's doing huge things here at Crossroads, but I mean, let's just be honest. Do you guys believe it's in fact part of the, in due to the fact that we have such an amazing senior pastor? And um, it's just such a phenomenal man to work for, and uh, God's doing huge things. And I, I'm really actually freaked out right now because you give Christians an extra hour and they all come to church. It's crazy. You should have seen first service. It was like this. I mean, man, we just need to do that every week, you know? Extra three hours of sleep, and then you'll worship God, right? Yeah, cool. Hey, um, real quick, I want to start off today by just shooting uh, as, as straight and honestly as I can about this economic thing that we're in. I mean, I think if we're all real honest in general, um, we think about our American dream, our parents' generation, their generation before them, and we all had this kind of assumption, right, as we were uh, you know, growing up, that things were just going to get better. You know what I mean? I mean, when it comes to like paychecks, they're supposed to get better. Um, you know, the AIDS epidemic and peace and safety and security and all of that and like social security. <laughs> And retirement is supposed to kind of get better, right? Now, my guess is a lot of you are sitting here in the room and you look at the American dream and you're kind of like, honestly, I, I just don't know if I feel that way anymore. I just am not sure. It seems like our world, our society, our economy, everything is just kind of moving the wrong direction. And I think we come in a room like this and we paste that big happy Christian smile on our face and we watch baptisms and sing praise songs and deep down in our heart, though, there is some hurt, there is some question, and the honest reality is there is a little bit of a lack of hope. Because I was just praying this morning about some of you, you, you wives who don't know how you're going to provide, some of you husbands who don't know how you can provide for your family, some of you single parents, some of you kids who are saying, I have a mom or a dad who lost their job, and we're living in a society right now that's kind of going, I don't know what's going to come next. And it hurts. So what we do as Christians, right, and let's just do this together, what we kind of do as Christians is we start building in all these little, like, things to give us hope. You know, I mean, and I'm, I didn't, this worked a little bit first service, but it kind of made me sick, and so we'll, we'll try it again. Um, but let's think about all the things we do to, to kind of fill that gap, that hunger void of hope, all right? Now, I've got my gum up here with me, and I'm going to try to quench that, that, that hope hunger void that's in my stomach right now. What's the first thing we do, the first tradition or ceremony when we're kind of growing up that we do uh, on a human level to kind of fill that void? Anyone remember? No, it's your driver's license, you remember? That's the first big moment in your life, right? When you have your driver's license, you assume, you know what, I'm gonna have this point, this tradition, this ceremony in my life, I'm gonna be somebody, why? Because I can date a really hot guy or girl and my parents won't know. Oh, it tastes good. It's kind of slobbery, though. 
Okay. But I still didn't quite feel that, that hunger void. It's still kind of down there. So what do we do next? You remember? Okay, let's see if this will work. I don't know if this will work. All right. Okay. 21 years old. You remember that moment? Now I'm somebody, right? You remember that one? And so you take another big chunk of your gum and you try to quench that hunger that's down in the pit of your stomach. All right? Oh, man. Okay. This is going to be hard. Okay. What's the next one? How many of you are single right now and you assume that the ceremony, the tradition, what's, what's, what's going to make you really feel like you have it all together? Getting married. Because we all know that makes life way easier. Sorry, I love you, Princess Bride. Anyway, and then what's the next big one? Oh, you know, I graduated college. I have a career. I only have $850,000 in debt. But now I'm somebody. Oh, this is disgusting. There's all this goo. Okay, and then we keep going, right? You remember the moment you thought, man, I can't wait till we have our 25th wedding anniversary because now we've been married, we're never going to get divorced, and now I really feel like I made it in this world, and that's the there. When we get there, we're going to be somebody who made it through this world, and we keep going. What's the next one? A lot of you guys are sitting there, and you think you have, you have $2.4 million in the bank, and retirement is taken care of because when you retire, then you're going to be set, right? Oh, okay, so much for that one with the economy and the way it is. Another tradition, another semblance of something in our weird humanist society that we build up as something, right? And we're never feeling the hunger inside of us. It still hurts. And now we have this big lump of goo, and here's the problem. You look back over the course of your life and all of those memories, traditions, reunions, and things you thought mattered are all stuck together and you can't even recount and remember which one mattered. And it's meaningless. And unfortunately, we still have that big, empty stomach. It was never satisfied and never taken care of. And that's not what God wanted. And I'm sorry, Chuck. <laughs> God doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want us to come in this room and then leave hopeless. He says, I gave you things. I gave you ceremonies. I gave you these moments with me that are going to be treasured and real and have impact in your life. But you got to have passion and you got to want them. You got to care. You got to want to connect with the God of the universe. In Acts chapter 8, there's actually um, a couple stories we're going to go through that actually talk about those moments where we have time with Jesus, the creator of the universe, and they change us forever. And I want you to turn in the Bible and I want you to recount these two very personal stories with me today so that we can leave here actually thinking beyond this life into the next one and how we can connect with the king of the universe. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this moment. And Lord, I thank you for these people who showed up and they came this morning. And God, they had an extra hour of sleep. And Father, we can joke and laugh about gum and all these things in our life, but the reality is there are a lot of people sitting here that are in a very dark place. They came in today, Father, and they are hurting and they don't talk about it. They sit and they don't turn even to the person next to them and want to explain it. But Lord, I believe that you want to celebrate an intense and intimate, amazing moment with them even today where they can walk out of here inspired by who you are. And Holy Spirit, I want to call upon you to begin to evoke a sense of passion in their life, to begin to evoke a sense of desire where they actually see eternity as something that's much bigger and grand, more grand and, and beyond where they are now today in this seat and in this position. 
And in the tapestry of life as you've ordained, I want to pray that this is a huge moment that they look back on and recognize as a life change moment. And I want to pray this in your powerful name. Amen. In Acts 8, we have our first story of an intimate moment with Jesus. So take a moment with me, if you would, and just recount it. It's the story about the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, a lot of you are sitting there and you're thinking, okay, we don't really have to go too deep into it, but if you don't know what a eunuch is, <laughs> it's kind of an interesting thing. It's, a, it's an individual who, for heathen practices or religious practices, would have had his male portion removed, uh, or, or part of it, um, which puts him in an interesting and not very fun lifestyle. But what we have here is this story at random in the book of Acts. I mean, it literally is. There's this, this parallel, this storyline stream that goes through Acts, and then all of a sudden, right here in the middle of it, is boom, this one story that pops out about an intimate moment between this Ethiopian eunuch, this man from Africa, and Jesus Christ himself. So start reading me in, with me in verse 26 about this idea of baptism. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, and I don't know how an angel sounds, but get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, if an angel ever tells you to get up and go somewhere, guys, just do it, okay? In verse 27, so he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he's returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, I think most of us probably look at this and we think, okay, Tony, that doesn't really seem to tell me a lot. It's just kind of a story about a, a dude sitting in a chariot, and I don't really know if I feel much there. Well, you should. I'm going to tell you why. Ethiopian eunuch, interesting character. This is a man who's traveled for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from Africa on an arduous and a dangerous road to actually stand at the gate of the temple, not even allowed to end, simply because he wants to worship the creator of the universe. Now, as a eunuch, he's not allowed to go inside. So not only did he travel this scary road with a 50% fatality rate, he stands outside and never even gets to enter, but because he's heard it such an amazing experience, he just wants to see what's going on. That's a passionate man right there. That's a passionate man who says, I don't care about anything that has to do with my safety and my plans and even my fulfillment. I just got to be a part of what God's doing. And the crazy thing is, even after that, he's riding home reading a scroll that cost $20,000 on this dangerous road, and he's trying to read it in a bumpy chariot. So you know how that is. And here comes Philip out of nowhere to walk up to him, and look what happens in verse 30. Philip approaches this passionate man because God told him to, and he ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you even understand what you're reading, man? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come sit with him. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Look at verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the, the eunuch says, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you can. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, this is a kind of interesting picture, too. This man is so passionate, he travels hundreds of miles just to stand at the temple, and he's sitting there going, God, whatever you have in there, I want to be part of it. And God cares enough about that one man that he sends Philip all the way 20 miles to sit with him in a chariot and explain Jesus to him. And guess what? God cares that much about you too. And I'm just going to tell you as a side note, you don't realize how much we pray for you. You don't realize when you walk in this room today how much Chuck in New York with his 
beautiful granddaughters who's going to be back next week to just speak love into your life is praying and on his knees for you. You've never been more loved than you are today because God loved you and we loved you and that's what the church is about. But here's this moment where he meets him where he's at. And baptizo is this word. It actually means immersion. And a lot of you have heard that before. But here's what's going on. Romans chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, but Paul actually gives a diagnostic doctrinal statement on what baptism is. It's where you and I, a believer in Jesus Christ, actually identifies with him and embraces him by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We just watched it happen, and it was an amazing and beautiful thing. But that's happening right here to the eunuch. But I want you to notice what a passionate man does who wants to connect with God. Do you see what he does? Look at the question he asks. His question is, what prevents me? You see, not only do we have to be passionate people, we have to be passionate people who are obedient and who want to have our moment with Jesus. It's not like he looks at him and goes, okay, Philip, I understand really what's going on here, and thanks for my moment with Jesus. God, I love you, but that water's kind of cold. God, I don't know if I really should do that because why would I want to jump in there? I mean, everyone would be like kind of looking at me weird because I'm in the river with a guy and it's just kind of, I don't want to be out here in this moment because it's a little frigid outside. God, why would I want to do that? Because you love me just the same. No. This man says, you do whatever, you tell me I'll do whatever I have to do. Why would I not want to do that? Why would I not want to be like Jesus and identify with him and stand proudly in public acclaim for what he did for me? I want to get that close to him. I want to be that much a part of his kingdom and his plan. He's a passionate man who cares that much. And I think a lot of times, if you look at this, and I'll just read, here's the culminating point of what happens. Look at verse 39. After he gets baptized, he comes out, and this is amazing, in verse 39, when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Now, just stop for a second. Can you picture this? You're getting baptized, you come up, it's slow motion, the water's dripping off of you, and then all of a sudden, the guy standing there is like, bloop, gone. Wouldn't that make it real? You imagine that? You're in that baptistry and this is your moment to celebrate your ordination and your public testament with Jesus and you come out of that water and the little dude behind the baptistry just disappears. Now I'm guessing the eunuch thought Philip was an angel. But look what he does when he comes out, a man of passion who had his moment with Jesus. Look what it says. And the eunuch saw him no longer but went on his way. And what's he doing? No, come on, let's go second service. What's he doing? No, come on, I, all of you, I can see you. What's he doing? He's rejoicing. Rejoicing is the Greek word, Cairo, which actually means every single time in the New Testament, when I come in connection with redemption and hope and grace, I jump up and down. Woo! Because grace does that to me. My moment with Jesus does that to me. See, I think a lot of times we get it in our head, and I mean, just, just think about it. Like, we sit here, and someone gets baptized, and we kind of cheer, Bravo, eight and a half, nine, ten. But what are we actually doing? We're cheering the fact that that person just had an intimate moment with the creator of the universe and publicly said, I will live for you, I will die for you, you are my king, nothing will get in the way, and I want everyone to know it. That's what that person's doing, and that's why we're cheering. Every time you get your moment with Jesus, and I do, I am forced into a position of gratefulness. Now, I'll just be real vulnerable. A couple months ago, I'm hanging, and 
I was going through one of those really like hard, like hard times, you know? I mean, just not hard times, like my life's falling apart. There's way harder things. But I, to make a long story kind of a little shorter, I've got my wife who's wonderful. She's had a baby. Little Peyton is beautiful and wonderful, but y- you guys, she has that colicky thing. Are there any parents that know about that? Now, all the parents that are with me on this are like, preach it, brother. And all you other ones, you have no clue. So you come babysit. We show you what's going on. And then after that, we decided we're renting. The economy's doing all this. We need to try to buy a house now. The market's down, all that. So there's stress there. And then, you guys, this is going to sound really shallow. But God just kind of floored me with this thing. And I'll just tell you, Generate was, was growing. And I always had this really dumb thing in my mind. When we hit 1,000 people on Wednesdays, you know, then we're there. Now, you know what God did? There's no there, there. I think we all do that with our little piles of gum. When I get there, then I'll be somewhere. And we realize it's like Hollywood. You go down, it's a sign, a mall, and there ain't nothing there. It's the exact same thing. And I'm thinking, God, I'm swimming. Generate has grown fast. My wife, my baby, all of this. I don't know how infrastructure. I'm not going to handle it. It's all going to crash and burn. And then we go into that cycle, right? Now, does anyone else go into those funks except me? You know what I'm talking about? Anyone else go into a funk where it's like a cycle of anxiety, depression, then you're throwing a big, like, pity party, and you're just sitting, and you're, you know what I mean? Have we been to funk people, like F-U-N-K? Anyone? Okay. And all the rest of you, I think, are liars. And... I'm hanging out, and I did this thing, and I'm just going to be really brutally honest. I went to a park. (laughs) Guys are like, bro. But I did. I thought change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. And I'm going to go outside, and I'm going to just build my altar to God, and I'm going to challenge him. And I did. I went, and I sat in this park, and I'm overlooking all of the little city of Corona. And there's blades of grass, and the flowers, and the trees, and the oceans, and the breeze, and all that. That rhymed. And as I stand there, I just challenged the Lord. I looked at him and I said, you know, God, my life is so messed up. You know, beautiful wife and kids and a job, but God, I'm just messed up. And, and, I, and I just had this moment where I, I challenged him and said, God, if you're really real, you need to show yourself to me. Now, let me tell you, the creator of the universe doesn't have to show himself to Tony Wood. But every once in a while, he does. And I swear, now guys, please don't make fun of me. I swear, out of all the grass that was around, and of all the little butterflies that were floating in the wind that day, I think God gave me a butterfly. Now, I I know it sounds weird. (laughs) But on one blade of grass, all the other butterflies were blown around. There was this one butterfly that for the 30 minutes I prayed for stared straight at me, and I think God gave you my butterfly, and someday he'll give you yours. So deal with it. And all of a sudden, as I'm sitting there and I'm just throwing a good old-fashioned pity party, I just felt like God took the Bible and, and Mark Batterson and Francis Chan and Chuck Boer and just began hammering me with messages I'd heard. And I realized just how amazing that little butterfly was. Did you ever realize that a butterfly used to be a little gross caterpillar with little dirt-eating, buggy, squishy things? And he would crawl on the ground, but then all of a sudden, one day, he goes into this cocoon and takes a really long power nap. And when he wakes up, he puts one leg outside of a cocoon, and it's a stinking wing. Oh! Oh! And little ugly caterpillar is now flying around the universe going, I'm king of the world! 
And I'm sitting there staring at that, and here's what went through my head. My gosh, God, if you love someone enough, a stinking butterfly enough to give him that, don't you think that I might get a little bit of your love poured out on me too? And I got slapped. That's got to be Dave Burton. Now, let me just tell you. I had this moment where God said, you better get on your knees, young man, and you better start thanking me. And so I did. Have any of you ever done this? I started thanking him for everything. Who's ever thanked God for everything? No, you, I don't think you have. You ready? I went back to conception. God, thank you for making me. I don't know. It probably was gross, but I was there. God, thank you so much that at 20 days, Lord, you gave me a little beating heart the size of I was a little peanut. God, thank you for the fact that at 25 days, you gave me little hands and little peanut-sized legs, and thank you for the fact that at 60 days, God, I had a little frown and a little smile even in the womb. But God, thank you even more than that. I kept thanking him. Thank you for the birth canal, God. I know it's weird, but Lord, thank you for that journey that brought me into life. Think about this. Thank you, God, for the fact that when I came out of that journey that brought me into life, I actually showed up on the scene but had a mom and a dad who loved me and a blanket to keep me warm. And I actually had a doctor standing there with technology and I wasn't born on the Oregon Trail in 1866. And God, thank you. For, have you ever done this, anyone? God, thank you for the fact that I actually had this mom and dad that loved me and took me to a neighborhood where they kept care of me and they gave me a house and they gave me friends and family. But thank you for health because I had white blood cells and DNA and mitochondria and little filly in my lungs that helped me cough up all those sicknesses so I was actually able to run and play with my friends. But God, thank you for school because when I was at school, God, it was amazing. I learned how to read. And because I was able to read, God, I actually got to read your word and realize that you came and died for me and rose again and in heaven and you loved me all that much. It's phenomenal, God. But even at school, I learned about sports, Lord. Has anybody ever done this? Kobe Bryant and the fact that USC is undefeated, at least back then they were undefeated. And God, thank you for capitalism. And thank you for a nation that has freedom to be in school and to have religion and to have capitalism. But thank you even more than that, that I'm in a nation that has freedom that's on this big rock called earth. I don't even understand, but there's gravity that holds me down even as I sit here in the park, Lord. And we go at a thousand miles per hour on our access, just spinning on this big rock with gravity. And then around that, I go around that stinking sun at 64,000 miles per hour around that. I don't understand it, but I'm one foot farther away. I freeze and one foot closer, I'd burn up. And God, in the little neighborhood cul-de-sac of your universe, you took the time today to look down at me in this park, in this moment, on this bench, and on this grass, and God, for some reason, through six billion people, you gave me my butterfly. When we come in moments in contact with the creator, we're forced to get on our face and be thankful and grateful because we celebrate the one who gave us everything. And if we have nothing in this room today, you have everything if you have Jesus Christ. That's all that matters, amen? I told you today that I was gonna tell you two intimate stories, two moments with Jesus. The first was eunuch who came out of the baptistry rejoicing because he'd found God. The second one is right here. I want you to turn to Luke 22 and think about this for a second. This is an amazingly spiritual moment. This is a moment that we can write home about that changes us forever. And in the Christian church, you all know, what do we do? We celebrate communion every stinking week, right? There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. Communion is this moment where we remember and reflect on who God is. We reflect on the fact that we want a moment with him and that because he took a moment to die for us, we can celebrate everything. 
In Luke 22:15, we find where this moment began, and it's actually in the upper room. The Passover is being celebrated, and the disciples are sitting around a table. And they're taking this moment where they want to celebrate something that's been celebrated for literally 2,000 years, and Jesus wants to have an intimate with them before he dies. And look at verse 15. Jesus says to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And look at verse 19. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it, meaning the bread. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, we've all heard that a thousand times if you come to church regularly. But I want you to go just under the story and realize there's three subplots happening in the upper room this night. We're in the upper room, and picture the darkness as all over Jerusalem, everything begins to quiet itself at the moment of celebration. And then Jesus walks in. You remember what he does? And he washes their feet. It's the act of service. Then Judas is sitting at the table who's about to betray him, who's going to showcase sin. And then there's this one other subplot that seems to surprise us and doesn't seem to fit, and we'll talk about it in a second. It's the story of Peter. In his conversation with Jesus in the upper room, and I want you to hold on to that and think about Peter, loudmouth Peter, and what he was thinking as he sat there staring at Jesus in the eyes in this intimate moment with the Christ. But what we have right here is this little term, and look at it again. Look in verse 19. He says, he broke it and gave it to them. Now, I think we miss this as a church. Sometimes. We kind of take the little communion trays and they get passed, and what do we do? Oh, good. Mm, good. Maybe I should have two. Mm, good, maybe three. Oh, I'm hungry, let's have four. Give me the plate. I'm being a little obnoxious, but a lot of times we don't think through what's happening. Do you realize what Jesus does right here? When he says, take it and give it to them, that's a Greek clause that means he literally didn't just grab the bread and say, hey guys, pass it around. Or hey, I'm gonna take a piece, you take one, you take one. He grabs piece by piece by piece, takes a piece off, one at a time. Imagine how long this took, and he walks up to every single man, and he looks them right in the eye, and he says, hey buddy, this is my body. And he looks every man in the eye and he gives it to him and says, this is gonna be broken for you. Do not miss the emotion in this moment. Jesus knows what's about to happen to him. And he goes eye to eye because eye equals relationship. And he looks him in the eye and says, when I'm broken afterwards, are you gonna remember this? And church, I gotta ask you today, when you take communion, do you sit and have Jesus look you in the eye and are you willing to stand and say, I will remember this? You bring the persecution, you do what you wanna do, world, you do what you want, nations, you do what you want, proposition, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, because I'm a Christian, I will remember Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, until I go to the grave, and if anyone challenges that, I'll respond to them and say, my God and my Lord is bigger than you, and I wanna love you in his name, and change the world in his name, because God is my God forever. And every single Sunday, we have that moment to look at him, to look at him in the eye one-on-one -on -one in a very personal way, that, my friends, is a moment with Jesus. Do not miss it, but also don't miss what happens next. Look at verse 20. And in the same way, isn't that a beautiful term, in the same way? The emotion's high. It's dark and quiet in Jerusalem. And as the firelight dances outside the window, Jesus, look at verse, verse 20, in the same way he took the cup, and he says, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And I think as Christians or as people who know about the church, a social Christian culture, 
We go, yeah, I get it, the blood of Jesus. What we forget is the fact that for 1,500 years, people had been pouring blood since Exodus 24 on sacrifices to ratify a covenant with God and for their own forgiveness. And don't miss this. It was a constant tradition that meant nothing. They would do it because they had to. They would do it because they were told to. They had no personal connection to them. And here's what Jesus does. He stands up and holds up a cup. And he says, guys, for 1,500 years, this is the way that you've lived. And I want you to know right now, those days are done. History is going to be changed. Eternity is going to be changed. And every single time you come together and celebrate, no longer is it hollow and guilt-ridden. No longer are your traditions and your little rituals humanistic. Because today, when you remember my name, it becomes supernatural. Today, my blood washes you of everything. After I die tomorrow, you are cleansed and redeemed and you are guilt-free. And you will react and rejoice every single time you come to that table. Because my blood has set you free from everything you've done. And the ritual goes from being hollow and small and just something human to being something amazing and ultimately satisfying. <laughs> and I know you're all hungry right now, and you're an hour behind, and so I'm going to torture you. Here's the thing. So often we keep everything like this, even when it comes to a moment that the Christ, the God of the universe wants to celebrate with you instead of making it a moment like this. Have you ever taken a Snickers bar when you're really hungry and you have that hunger in the pit of your stomach for something real? Yeah, you have, buddy? Good. And you know that first moment that you open it up and that just comes out? And then you're thinking in your head, what's about to happen right now? And you know it's going to quench every single little hunger bug you have. And when your teeth touch it for the first time, you just feel the shivers kind of go through you. And I've been trying to decide because the Bible says you're supposed to eat and drink and do all for the glory of God. Just the most amazing part of eating a Snickers bar is. And I've decided, it's not a first bite. Ha, ha, ha. It's kind of the chewing part because all these googly things just become to erupt in your mouth. And saliva builds. And it's a palate in your mouth and your tongue mushes it around. But I think the best part is that swallow. Right here. When it goes down, hits your tongue, your throat, your esophagus, and settles in your stomach. That, my friends, is an amazing experience. <laughs> when we stop, when we stop on a Sunday, and we begin to think it through, it smells, smells of first century Jerusalem. When we begin to just, in our mind's eye, picture the beauty of the moment. When we begin to taste the blood that Jesus tasted. When they took the cat of nine tails, leather shard and glass, and began to whip and pull his flesh away and began to put his hands and nail him, and the blood dripped into his eyes and his face. When we begin to literally feel the pain that he felt shudder through his back and into his body. Then communion.
becomes the moment it was meant to be. A moment with Jesus. I told you guys not to let go of that story of Peter. And there's a reason. This was his moment with Jesus. You see, we always read Luke 22 and we skip over the fact that Jesus held up that cup and then he put it down on the table and in some God-ordained sovereign moment, I don't know why, he looks over at his buddy Peter and he goes, hey buddy, I just want to let you know Satan's asking for you right now. And I want to let you know you're, you're going to mess up. Listen, you're going to deny me. The rooster's going to crow. And, but I want you to know I'm, I'm going to pray for you. It's okay. And Peter, buddy, afterwards you get back in the game. And I think we kind of ignore that. But then hours later, only verses later, Jesus is under arrest. You remember what's happening as he's sitting over here in the courtyard? Peter follows him into the courtyard and the fire's going and this little servant girl walks up to Peter and says, hey, you know that guy. And this big burly fisherman goes, ha, ha, no, I don't. And then the story continues where someone else goes, hey, yeah, you do. And he goes, no. And then around the fire in the darkened hall, one more person says, I I've seen you with him. And in the firelight, Peter yells, I don't know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. And then the rooster crows, and you can only imagine that a rooster haunted Peter the rest of his life every time he heard it in the morning. Because we don't know how and where and how God ordained it was, but through the hallways and the firelit moment in Luke 22, verse 61, just after communion, Jesus looks over and the writer Luke says he glances at Peter and we all go, yeah, that's right he did. He gave him that look, right? We all know that look. The look that my wife gives me when I'm home late. The look that you give a, a child when they've messed up or the look a boss gives you when you're in trouble. The look of condemnation. The look of, I'm giving up. The look of, dude, come on, man. I told you this would happen. But that's only because we forgot the moment a few hours earlier after the cup. We can't forget the fact that Jesus already told him it would happen said, I forgive you, and had enacted the very covenant that he had just begun. That was not a look of condemnation and judgment. That was a look of relationship and restoration. That was Jesus looking at his buddy saying, buddy, it's okay, I'm with you. Don't give up. I know you might want to give up on you, but I'll never give up on you. This was a look where he said, get back in the game, buddy. Don't quit. And we all know what happens. Peter goes running out after his moment with God, and he's crying and weeping bitterly. But why was he crying and weeping bitterly? Because grace always causes us to weep bitterly. Undeserved favor always causes us to weep bitterly. When we get things that we don't deserve, forgiveness and redemption and restoration, even though we know the dark place of our life, we always weep because we believe in a God who loves us despite our sin. This was a moment that was beautiful and amazing. I'm gonna just tell you, if you're in here right now, take all of that nasty gum and tradition and, and rejection and condemnation in your life, and I wanna ask you right now, God, Jesus Christ of the universe is looking at you through this dark hallway of firelit moments, and he's saying, will you have your moment with me? Will you come to me right now? Will you start your life over? Will you start your life fresh? Will you give everything to me? Will you let me embrace you because I love you that much? This is not a look of condemnation today. This is a look of relationship because that's where relationship happens.
Let's pray. God, Holy Spirit, Lord, there are so many people here today that say, I, I kind of have that lack of hope. I have some things in my life I'm not proud of, Lord. Some people here have never come to you for the first time, and you're saying, I want to celebrate a moment with you. You're saying, I want to I walk with you. I want to give you second chances. I want to give you grace. You're saying, I want communion to mean something, and I want baptism to mean everything. And Father, I pray right now that you'll call people to you. Before time began, you looked at every person in here, and for a lot of them right now, this moment is a butterfly sitting on a blade of grass. And Lord, if they just turn to you and begin thanking you and run into your arms, they will be changed forever. With every head bowed, you guys, I simply want to ask this question. If this is your moment in this room, surrounded by people that love you, if this is your moment to be with Jesus, if this is your moment to walk with him or to recommit your life to him or to give him everything, I want you to do this with me, and I'm simply going to pray a prayer. But it's a prayer that if you pray it with me, will change you, and you and the creator of the universe will connect in a way that you never could have imagined. But I want to know who I'm praying with right now. And I want to know if God's calling you, and if this is your moment to pray with me, I want to ask that you do something courageous, and that right now, even amidst the people that you love and you're sitting with, I want to ask you to look up and raise your hand and let me know that I'm going to pray this prayer with you right now. So if God's calling, will you please lift your hand so I know who I'm praying with? Praise God for you, brother. That's amazing. And for you, man, that's both you guys. That's amazing. Praise God. And for you guys up there, praise God for all of you. I want to make sure I see you. If God's calling and this is your moment, praise God for all of you guys up there on the top. Praise God for you. And for you, sister, for you, brother, that's awesome. And for you, sister, a couple, praise God for you. It's amazing. For all of you guys there in the middle, praise God. I see you guys. This is your moment. I might not see you, but God does. And he's calling you. And this is a moment like Peter where you look at him in the eye. Praise God. I want to make sure I see on this side over here too. Is there anyone I'm missing? Wow, praise God for you up there down here in the middle. Wow, this is amazing. Praise God for you, brother. I'm so proud of you, man. This is awesome. Standing strong and courageous, jumping in the arms of God. Is there anyone I missed over here? Wow, praise God, brother. That's awesome. That's huge. This is amazing. And for you, brother and sister, that's amazing. And for you back here on the side, this is awesome. I want to make sure I see as many people as I can. All right, for all of you that have raised your hand, even if I missed you, simply whisper these words to God with me. Say, Jesus, I admit that I have made some mistakes in my life. I admit I have some hurt and pain, and I honestly have some times I'm lacking hope. But I believe that you came and you died for me. And you rose again, and you sit in heaven, and today you want me to have a moment with you. And so I throw myself into your arms. And I ask that you'll make me the person you've wanted me to be. And I ask that you'll give me the life that you've called me to live. And today I give my life to you. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And in the life inspiring name of Jesus. 
I pray this in the name that goes beyond all names, that name that literally stems from heaven to earth, the name of the one who died on the cross for me. I pray this in the name of the one who gives me new life and passion and second chances and change. I pray this in the name that gives me everything. And together with my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room today, I empower, pray, and say, amen.